Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Through the Rise podcast, a podcast where we get a chance to look at the world and the church through the eyes of those around us. I'm your host, Caleb Rutherford. And I'm your host, Michael Clark. Uh, we are so excited that you're with us uh, as we're going through this summer season content. I know you're not getting your normal episodes now as you normally do. We're not uploading quite as frequently as we were through our first season. However, we do have some content that we want to get to you, and hopefully it's beneficial to you and your walk with Christ, and hopefully you're growing um, in your knowledge of His Word. We are excited to bring you episode number five of this podcast and of our summer series content, and we're just grateful that you're with us. I do also want to mention just a couple of things about the network. If you can, go like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, just search the Scattered Abroad Network and you'll find us there. Also, if you have any questions, uh, any comments, any suggestions, anything that you want uh, us to know about, you just shoot us a DM or you can email us at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Also, if you can, go to whatever platform it is that you listen to and give us a rating or review and that certainly would be beneficial to us. If you've been going with us and listening uh, to us through the the first few weeks of uh, of our summer series content, um, you'll know that we've been having guests on our episodes, and that is kind of the whole point of the Through Their Eyes podcast of selecting individuals who uh, have a different perspective on the world, who have seen different things uh, than maybe we have, and getting kind of their perspective and their viewpoint on the world and the church and different things like that. And so today we're excited to have another guest on our show, uh, Brother Joe Wells. Joe, we're uh, grateful that you're on the show with us today. Man, I'm glad to be joining you guys. I have uh, I've been watching and paying attention to the Scattered Abroad Network and the growth that you guys are are experiencing, and I'm just I'm pumped to be a part of the this particular podcast. So thank you for having me. I appreciate you very much, man. We're grateful that you took some time. I know you're a busy guy. Y'all got a lot of projects going on with all the work that you're involved in. Um, but we certainly appreciate you taking a, an hour or two out of your day to, uh, to be with us uh, on the show. So Joe, why don't you go ahead? Maybe there are some individuals who are listening who don't know who you are and kind of the things that you're involved in. Go ahead and give us a little bit of a background and introduction as to who you are. Yeah, well, I am uh, currently working full-time with the nonprofit publishing company that my wife Erin and I co-founded in 2012. And that company is called Kayo Publications. Uh, I've been in ministry for 21 years now. Uh, and most of that has been in youth and family work or preaching. Uh, but my journey through ministry has been a little different in that I have been blessed to learn kind of the print side of things. and. Uh, that opened a lot of doors for me to seminar speaking, uh, youth rallies, gospel meetings, things on those lines. And so currently, I am uh, not just publishing books and writing books, but I travel the country and speak at youth rallies and gospel meetings uh, and men's days. Uh, and then we also are co-hosts, or co-founders, I should say, of Legacy Family Camp East which this year, it takes place Halloween weekend every year, um, but we're going to be down in, in uh, Alabama this year, uh, a wonderful time for family camps. And of course, Aaron and I, my wife and I, we also co-host uh, together the Hey Joe Show, uh, which deals with teens, families, culture, um, and really trying to, uh, I guess, call families and call young people uh, out of the world, out of walking according to the world's path. And sure. so on top of all that stuff, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father to four, and I am trying to follow Jesus, man. That's, that's what I'm doing. So I'm a work in progress. I like to say I'm still growing, still uh, being disciplined as a disciple. So sure. 
Sure. Well, man, I appreciate uh, all the work that you do for the kingdom. I know you're, like I said earlier, you're a busy guy. Y'all have a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of projects, a lot of different things. Um, y'all do. You've written a lot of books too. Um, I, in fact, I'm actually going through one of your books, uh, game plan with, with a lot of our teens right now on a Thursday yeah. night study that I have with them. So it's certainly been beneficial, but yeah, I really appreciate all the work that you've been doing, uh, thus far. And in fact, speaking of, of material, um, and different things like that, you can study. Um, if you've been following along with the scattered rod network, you know, that we do giveaways um, every other month. And in a couple of months, uh, we're actually going to partner with Kyle Publications and with Joe and Aaron and some of the work that they do. And we're going to be giving away um, a, a set of ladies Bible study material called Finer Grounds. So Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, the Finer Grounds series actually is one of our most popular series that we publish. And um, I can't take a lot of credit for it because the, the ladies who are involved with the ministry that's called Come Fill Your Cup, um, they came to us and, and we worked it out that we would become their publishing arm. But basically, the Finer Grounds Bible Study Series uh, is attached to Come Fill Your Cup. You can find them online, uh, but they're all members of the church, all wonderful, faithful ladies. And they just do in-depth Bible study. And the thing that makes uh, the Finer Ground series different is that it's not, uh, and I believe I could say this respectfully, it's not fluffy. Um, The deal is not, you know, to discuss our thoughts or our feelings or, you know, there's not a lot of cool stories that make make us feel good, which sometimes you find in ladies' Bible study books. These books dive deep into a study of God's word, more at an exegetical type study. Uh, So they're going to get into some of the word meanings. They're going to get into some of the application behind those. And there's plenty, plenty of of opportunity to reflect uh, within each of these to answer questions. And so up to this point in time, we have books dealing with Judges and Ruth, uh, Mark, 1st and 2nd Peter, Hosea, Hebrews, And the brand new one that just came out is dealing with Song of Solomon. Um, And it actually is a wonderful book uh, for for wives. I would say it will bless uh, a marriage. It will bless the relationship between the husband and the wife. Uh, But it's also in the Finer Ground series. So when I take the new one, I have one, two, three, four, five, six in that set that we'll have to give away uh, for you guys, you know, whenever you choose to do so. I know that's going to be a wonderful blessing to whatever lucky young woman is blessed to win that giveaway. And Joe and I are linked in ways that maybe he doesn't quite remember. Uh, Lessons from a park bench that I used to do started like the same time as the Hey Joe show. Now, I've long since retired the park bench and I'm not (laughs) doing that program anymore, but I am so I'm pleased every time I tune in and see you and Aaron doing that program. I think it's a wonderful program all of the work that y'all do is, is excellent, but especially as y'all are moving toward what we're talking about today, which is reaching the youth and family. That's a major topic. It's a, it's a lacking, you know, subject matter in the church that we're seeing today in some places. We spend so much time focused on the older people, those that are already kind of established as Christians, and we neglect the family sometimes. And yet we talk about the husbands and the wives, but Children are mainly told to clean their rooms, obey their parents, and that's about it. And so what do you say, Joe, as we kind of move into our questions for today to people who basically try to say the mindset of, you know, the youth today are the church of tomorrow? 
Right. Well, unfortunately, I would say this. I would say they're actually giving young people a reason not to be serious about their faith is what yeah. they're doing. Um, because when someone says you're the church of tomorrow, we know what they mean, right? We, we, we need to be gracious towards those who say that because I don't believe they have any ill will towards young people when they say that. Um, but ultimately what they're doing is if I'm not the church of today, then it's not my turn. You know, that's kind of the, the thought process. So if it's not my turn, then I don't have to be the one that steps up to participate. I don't have to be the one that steps up to lead um, because it, I'm the church of tomorrow. You, you older folks, you're the church of today. So it's up to you to do that. So I don't have to worry about it. And unfortunately what it does is it creates kind of a sense of apathy uh, within some of our younger people. And so um, I would, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in calling our young people up to be more than what the world says. You know, I don't believe that they have to eat, drink and be merry and go sow their wild oats. Uh, I just disagree with that whole concept that that's just what young people do. And, and the reality is, I don't believe that's what God intended young people to do. We understand that, that from a biblical cultural context, that they didn't have that luxury. As a matter of fact, the only one that we can point to in the New Testament that did kind of eat, drink, and be merry and go sow his wild oats was the prodigal son. Right. And that didn't turn out well for him. You know, and that, that was just not a part of their culture. So my fear is that when someone says you are the church of tomorrow, that's more of an American mindset than it is a biblical mindset. Right. And we have so many places in scripture. I mean, just, just thinking old Testament wise, we have in second Kings 22, Josiah began to reign at the age of eight years old. And therefore God didn't care how young he was. It was a matter of Josiah was able to reign. And what Josiah did with that power was one of the best things that we find in, in all of the Kings that we study about Josiah restoring the temple and bringing back the word of God when it's discovered. And all of these things that a young boy started off doing at a very small age. I mean, when we talk about young people today, I know that not every young man or young woman is going to be able at the age of eight to get into a pulpit or get into a Bible class setting and teach other people. But there are so many things that we could definitely be doing. And I think what you said is, is impressive that we're hurting their mindset towards the church, that this isn't my time. And then when they finally have their time in their minds, they might feel like they're not equipped because we haven't spent enough time training them in that opportunity that's before them. And these people that are the youth of our congregations are involved in so many different relationships. They know so many more people than any of us adults will really know because young people have way more friends than we do when we get older. We kind of close our friend groups off. They have such wide open, you know, opportunities. And we're kind of telling them in church to just sit down and be quiet, listen to the sermons and go about your lives. But then we also get on to them if they're not being involved in evangelism, but we don't really seem to be equipping them to do that. No, I agree with you. And I think, you know, what you said spurred a, a concept within my, my way of thinking. And that is sometimes our approach towards young people is based upon, uh, and, and bear with me, a box concept that has been created for uh, usefulness in the kingdom. Uh, in other words, we would say, well, you know, they're not as uh, financially stable. 
So therefore they don't fit the, they have, you know, can give to good works and they can, I mean, now I've known some young people that contributed everything that they could uh, towards those good works, but it's not the same as adults. And then we would also turn around and say, well, they don't have the maturity. They don't have the life experience. They're not married. So therefore, you know, how are they going to get up and preach to us about marriage or even live out an example? And uh, one of the things that came to my mind as you were you were saying that is, is Paul's instruction to Titus regarding the various ages and age categories is probably the better way that I would say that because he deals with older men and younger men, and he deals with older women and younger women. And of course, we would love to think that all of that is Americanized. In other words, well, when do you, when do you become old? Well, and I get it, right? If we're going off of military service, some would say, well, you're an old man in biblical terms, when you turn the age of 40, uh, around that time, because they couldn't serve in military uh, after that. And so maybe that's when they become an old man. But I'm not, I'm not sure you can tag that one. And I'm not sure that you can tag a young man as being, well, he's 21. Now he's on his own out of his parents' house. No, because I look, if we're going to go back simply to the Jewish mindset, their bar mitzvah was not at 21. Uh, they look at when, when does a young person become a man much younger than when do we as, as Americans believe that a young person becomes a man. And I'll even offer this to you that that has not always been the case in America. Um, there was a time in America where young people, they went to school only up to a certain point and then they went to work. Uh, most young people before world war two did not finish high school. As a matter of fact, you see a lot of individuals working in factories, working on farms. Uh, and so with a young man who is the age of 15, it wasn't necessarily uncommon for him to be out running the field work. Um, and people got married much younger in America back earlier. It wasn't many generations ago that we had individuals getting married in their late teens. And sometimes the young ladies were in their mid to late teens that's because the cultural expectations were different. And so you see things like 1938, the Fair Labor uh, Standard Act, which basically put in a, a limited number of young people could work and establish a minimum wage. You look at post-World War II, where you saw a tremendous increase in young people going to college or going to finishing high school, rather, spending more time around their peers. And I would offer this to you, that the thought process that we're even talking about today is, is culturally created. And that's why I say sometimes we put this concept of you're only useful if you fit the box that we have created in the church. Because Michael, your point was absolutely correct. Young people tend to have more friends, a bigger reach. They reach people that as adults, we will never reach. They have more energy than we as you know adults have. That's just the truth of the matter. Uh, what they don't have is maturity life experiences. But here's the thing, that doesn't mean they're not the church of today. Right. Right. And so what I would offer is if I were talking with someone saying, hey, you know, those young people, they're the youth, they're the church of tomorrow. I would offer this to you. No, when God adds people to the church, Acts chapter two, he never partly added anybody. He never, you know, minimized who he added. And so the truth is this, God doesn't have stepchildren. He only has children. And that young person who obeyed the gospel, 
they're just as much a part of the church of today as that 80-year-old individual who's walked more in life. They're just at a different stage of life. Mm-hmm. And so what I would offer is this. We need to, instead of only, only now hear me, instead of only calling them to become adults, we should also train them how to, within their stage of life, be faithful to God in all things. And as they grow and mature, that will change with time, what it looks like, what they're able to do. But what will not change is you be faithful in the stage of life in which you are now. That's And that's so true. That's one of the things when we talk about Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, which really should be the, the mantra of the church from the time that the church started to the time that Jesus calls us all home. There's no age given in that church group. And yet we're told that every member, those that were added to the body, were engaged in doing the edification, continuing in the doctrine, the breaking of bread, the fellowship. Uh, But then we're told something interesting, too, is that as need came up, possessions were sold. I would imagine that mama and daddy on occasion would have to take something from one of their children and sell it and maybe make a profit off of something like that to help a congregational member. And perhaps a conversation is sparked and maybe that young person was more than willing to do that. We don't have scripture that says that definitively, but being a part of the church tells us that as a need came up, if I had a a plot of land in my name, if I had clothing that could be sold, if brother so-and-so needed it, it was going to the market to be sold to be able to help him make his ends meet and to promote the idea of the church treasury as it was being established and started. And there's no age given in that, in that mindset. And I think that's incredibly important as well. Perhaps I don't want to get too far off on here, but perhaps one of the things that we we could touch on real quick, Joe, and then I know Caleb's probably got a couple of things is it seems to me that a lot of times the, the children in the church, like we talked about, are told to engage in every act of worship, but perhaps the families aren't engaged in that mindset of giving. These kids may have an allowance, but they're not commanded to give on a regular basis, to give of themselves, to give of their means. And perhaps that's another thing is when we don't teach our children to be very giving, as they grow older, how will they continue in that? How will they know how to be giving people? How will they want to give back to God on the first day of the week if they weren't taught from a young age? This isn't just something mama and daddy do from our own accounts. We should give our children money as well to give. We do that as they're young, but as they get older, it seems like we kind of stop that as well. And so we talk about training children to be the church of today. The church gives. The church is involved in hospitality and in all of these other things. And it's not just evangelism, though we typically kind of pigeonhole it into that, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, and you said something very interesting. I'll be quiet and let Caleb say something, but. The reality is this, to be the church of today means you do contribute. And um, there's a different mindset between being a consumer and being a producer. And a consumer goes to the church to to see what they can get out of the church. A producer comes to the body of Christ and says, what can I bring to the work of the body of Christ? I would offer at a very early age this concept of you are the church of today is a mindset that those young people have got to have. And so for Aaron and I, we're, we're raising four. Our oldest is about to graduate from high school. Um, we have a going to be a high school junior. Uh, and then we have a young person who's going into the seventh grade and then still one in elementary. From a very early age, we have set out that whatever money they get, that there needs to be some set aside for giving 
some set aside for saving and then some for spending. And some parents, look, there are people who disagree with you in everything that you do um, because they believe their way is right, just like I believe my way is right, you know? But the reality is this, the question is, why did we say, hey, you need to set aside some for giving, some for saving, and some for spending? And that is because you're developing a mindset within that young person that even when you get birthday money, you need to give some, save some, spend some. So you might've got 50 bucks from your grandma, but that doesn't mean you get to go spend 50 bucks on what you want. Now the kid's going to scream. The kid's not going to understand it. Look, I don't know who's going to listen to this podcast, (laughs) but I'm telling you right now, the kid is not going to understand that and like it. Mm -hmm. But your job as a parent, my job as a parent is not to make it where our kids like everything that we do. Our job is to raise them up in the way that God would have them to be raised. And that doesn't just mean take them to church. That means the mindset that we are instilling with them at a young age. Thus, I will say this and then be quiet. You don't start raising a teenager when they become a teenager. Mm. You start raising a teenager when they're born. And and one of these things you're talking about, Michael, is that subject. So, sorry, Caleb, I said I was going to be quiet. No, you're good. Well, I think (laughs) I would even go as far. I would go on a limb and say, Probably the parents who don't instruct their children to set that money aside, probably they themselves have a hard time putting that money aside to right. give, you know, themselves. And so obviously that's something that they need to, to work on um, within themselves as well. But, you know, that Michael mentioned um, Josiah, two two individuals come to my mind when we talk about young, uh, young individuals, well, actually three, when I think about young individuals that um, that do so much for the Lord, regardless of what age they are. And, and Josiah is one, I think about David, but then I also think about Timothy. And how Paul instructed Timothy, even as a young man, we think about um, 1 Timothy 4.12, where he tells him not let no man despise that youth. And so obviously there's so much that um, that individuals can do regardless of their age. And I think it would it would be better for us to maybe instead of saying, and and again, I agree with you, Joe, when you say I don't think that they mean it in any kind of bad way when they say that the youth of the church are tomorrow, but maybe it might be something better to say that they are the leaders of the, uh, of the, the future leaders of the church, because we can groom them to be elders, to be deacons, to be teachers, to be preachers and different individuals like that. Maybe a role that they not necessarily can fulfill at this point in time. Um, but in years to come, that is something that they can do. And we need to foster that mindset, um, and try to get them to grow and to, and to move, um, in that area. Um, you know, Joe, let's, let's transition to, to our next question. You know, we talk so much about our young people and how we need to try to push them in the right direction, how we need to help them lay that foundation, because if they don't, if their foundation is not there, if their faith is not their own, and I tell my kids all the time um, in, in, our, in my youth group, and Joe, I'm sure you do as well, their faith has to be their own. If it's not their own, then what's going to happen when they leave high school and they go to college, they go off and live on their own, they're going to have no foundation for themselves on which to stand. Um so why is it, Joe, that we are losing so many of our young people once they once they leave high school? Because we've all seen it. We all know of individuals uh, of young people who have left after high school and who have fallen away and never coming back. Come back. Why is that the case? Well, my experience, man, and, and um, it's sad. I want to say that first because mm-hmm. I've sat across too many tables with parents and grandparents who cried because they didn't, they didn't understand, you know, they, they brought their child to the church building. Every time the doors were open, uh, they were at Bible class. Every time there was Bible class and they may even have participated in the youth events. Uh, but now they don't understand that their child, uh, is not faithful 
now that they're in college or even beyond college. And it's, it's very difficult and very painful to have that discussion. But I would offer this to you that the, the number one reason that I have seen of why we lose our young people after high school is because their hearts were never reached. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean emotionally, right? That's, that's not what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the heart. I'm talking about the inner being, the inner person that they are, their thoughts, their desires, their will. Um, you know, you and I know that as parents, we can make our children do things while they're in our house. And, you know, I, I laugh and I joke about it, but the, it's, it's very true. Um, I can get my children to fear me enough that they will do what I say when they're in my house. So if I tell them to go clean their room, they don't clean their room, then there's punishment. So they clean their room for fear of my dad will punish me, right? But I can also say, as long as you're in my house, you're going to attend church. You're going to go to worship. And they will do that, right? They'll do that because they want to eat my food. They'll do that because they want to live in my house. The question then, though, is this. What happens when all of that is taken away? What happens when, you know what, dad, okay, dad can't do anything to me. If he does, it's against the law now. Uh, I'm not eating your food anymore, dad. Uh, You know, I'm not even living in your house. So the deal is what would make them want to be faithful to the Lord at that point? And my default is that I come back to is it's because their heart was never reached. They got the external obedience, right? but they did not have the internal to go along with that. And so I would, I would throw this your way and open it up for discussion. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says this, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Jesus would say numerous times in the new Testament, the book of Matthew, that in vain do they worship me teaching his doctrines of men, but their heart are, is far from me. He will even hit on the fact of where does adultery come from? Where does fornication come from? Where do, does murders come from? And of course, that was all within a context. I believe it's Matthew 15, where they were challenging him on his disciples washing their hands before they eat. And Jesus was telling them, basically, look, the things that go in the body don't defile the body, like eating with unwashed hands. But what comes out of the body, that defiles the body. And all of those behaviors stem from the heart the inner being, the inner man. And so my, my answer to that is this. There can be individuals that are brought to service every time those doors are open. They attend your Bible classes. They, they attend youth events, but they are doing it for fun or to please their parents. Maybe it's something to do while they're there. And then all of a sudden what happens is when they leave, those factors are no longer tying them. Now, I will offer this to you for what it's worth for for good conversation, perhaps. Um, When I left high school and went to college, I actually stopped attending worship service for four months. Um, And that was all when I went off to Texas. My parents were in Pennsylvania. Uh, I went to college. They dropped me off at college. And there was, and, and, and it just is what it is, but there was no intentionality on the part of my, my family. To, to help me get tied into the Lord's church local. It was purely a sense of, well, you're on your own. You know, kind of that John Wayne, 
you know, what do you mean you don't know how to swim? So he picks the little boy up and just throws him in the water <laughs> and he's either going to swim or he's going to drown, you know? Right. But the idea was this, I, we, we, I got dropped <laughs> off at college. I, I tried to get plugged in, but when you're 18 years old and it wasn't like, you know, they were reaching out to me. I don't want to put any of that blame there, but the reality was it was odd to walk into a place where, you know, no one, and if you have a kind of a, an experience where maybe they didn't say hello to you, they didn't welcome you in, they didn't make it easy, then you're going to be hesitant to go back. And so for me, it was, I went to college, I was paying for school on my own. I had to get a job. Actually, I had two jobs that semester. And one of those was waiting tables. And so I would work Friday night late, Saturday night late, and usually a Sunday morning shift because I justified it that I had to uh, make money to pay for school. Now, here's the, here's the rest of my story. My conscience was so hurt that when I went home for Christmas, I knew I was going to have to transfer after that year and come home. I, it was bothering me. So the second semester I go back, I quit all of my jobs. And so then I start worshiping with a family who lived about 30 minutes away from the college and I would go to their house and then we would drive to a small town called Godly, Texas. Um, that was about 45 minutes away from their home, but it helped when I was tied in. Now here's the deal. I would offer this to you. Number one, I had to come to a conclusion, like you said, Caleb, that your faith has to be your own. But I will offer this to you. Oftentimes, young people, um, they don't come back like we're talking about, like my case. My case was my conscience bothered me. Therefore, repentance occurred and things changed. Sure. But in order for things to change, I had to leave that school. I had to go back home where I didn't have to work. And I had that security uh, and that foundation. Ultimately, ended up getting into ministry uh, before I was uh, finished with college. Uh, but sometimes they don't do that. And I would offer this to you. My experience is not because we didn't play enough paintball, not because we didn't have enough lock-ins, not because we didn't offer enough pizza. It was because we didn't reach their heart. And ultimately that's not your job nor mine. That's the job of the, of the family. That's the job of mom and dad sure. to do that. Sure. You know, going to worship and being a faithful Christian are two very different things. Um, because, because anybody can go to worship, no matter who you are, what your background is, what you believe in, anybody can go, but it takes a, a certain and specific heart to be a faithful Christian and to live out the commands of almighty God. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons why our, our young people struggle with that is because like you mentioned, it falls on the parents. And if the parents aren't doing that, then the kids certainly aren't going to do it. And one of the things that I tell my parents all the time um, is if you're not involved and interested in the church, then don't expect your kids to be either. Because if they're not making a priority in their lives to go to worship and to not only just live the right kind of life while they're at worship, but then you know all the other hours of the week that they're not uh, in the presence of other Christians— you know, the kids see that and they see the hypocrisy. They see um, you live, you saying you're going to do one thing and then living a completely different life. They see that and it doesn't make any sense to them. And so they begin to lose, they have that doubt set in of, well, is this really what I need to be doing? Because if this is what Christians are, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, and so, and I, all, all, all too often, I think we see parents who blame the church for losing their children um, because 
they because their children fell away, but in all reality, it was on them. And I heard it said once this way: if you if you feed them junk food all throughout the week, then they will not be ready for the real food when they come to worship um, because they're not used to that. They're not getting that, and so it's of no interest to them. Um, and so a lot of this falls on our. Not I'm not saying that it all does because obviously our. Uh, every single person, you know, makes their own choices. Um, they're responsible for their own actions. However, I do believe a good portion of this does fall on our parents, like we mentioned, that they're not doing what they need to be doing as Christian parents. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit um, to help try to help push their children along and show them this is what you need to be doing as a faithful Christian. Now, Joe, let me let me ask you this um, because this is something that I have struggled with um, in all, in both places that I've worked, where we have kids um, who work. And obviously working is great. They need to work in it, and, and there's a lot of good things that come in that. But when it interferes with worship and different things like that, how do you approach something like that? With the parent from a minister standpoint? Yeah, with, with, and, and either way, um, parent or even to the, to the child too. Well, I will say this. From a minister standpoint towards that family, it's very difficult because that child is working because the parents have allowed that child to work. Right. Right. So in our family, you know, my oldest son, he has had a job uh, and it was very clear that we did not want him working during times that he was going to have to miss services. Uh, now, there was, you know, when the boss schedules you, even though you told him not to, you got a couple options. Number one, I'm not doing it. Number two, I quit. Number three, I'm going to do it. Right. Right. So there have been occasions where he had to work right up to it or perhaps uh, dealing with the online aspect of, of where we've been that Aaron and I said, okay, we'll let you work this shift. But when you're done, you're going to get, make sure you tune into that Bible study. So he would then worship perhaps at eight o'clock at night, whereas maybe the church had their live stream at five o'clock. Right. So I guess maybe I justified that differently, but take COVID out of it, take the online concept out of it. We're talking about a kid who's choosing work over worship or work over things that are going to bless him spiritually. Right. I would offer this to you. That nine times out of 10 is uh, a conversation that needs to be had on two fronts. You can expect kickback from the parent, but you can always go to the parent and handle it as if, and this is my recommendation, handle it as if they really do have their child's best interest at heart. It's just maybe they haven't thought about it. Mm -hmm. In other words, don't go to them and rebuke them. Hey, you're a miserable parent. You know, you dad, you're not. Right. That's always going to go bad because right. they're going to get defensive. Right. Right. But if you go to them and say, hey, I noticed that, you know, Peter hasn't been at the last three Bible classes on Wednesday night. Can you kind of help me? I'm, I'm concerned. You know, can you help me understand what's going on? He's saying he's got to work or whatever. Um, and the dad says, yeah, he's got to work. You know, he's just really swamped. And you can say, well, you know what? You've you got a couple options there. You can say, well, we've missed him and make it about a relationship. Right. And maybe you do that the first time mm -hmm. to let the parent know that you care. But then it's possible that you have to have a follow up conversation. Hey, I noticed Peter's now he's not been there in a, a month and, and, you know, and a half. And I'm really concerned about his spiritual well-being. Um, you know, can we have a serious conversation about is his job that important to, to him versus him needing to be a part of the church? Now, chances are you could handle that with Peter, too, and get Peter to come to a conclusion right. that he wouldn't want to be there at work, that he wants to be with the body of Christ. Um, 
But if you're going to have that conversation, you're really asking a young person who has been trained to elevate finances above spirituality um, to come to a spiritual conclusion that it is better for him not to work. But I would still offer that to you that it's worth it. Ultimately, though, I think that you're going to have to have that conversation with the parent too. It it seems like you touched on this a, a quick second, Joe, and I want to expound on it a little bit further. It seems to me, not every church, not every youth group, but it seems that too much of our time has been spent training our kids to like the church and not love the church. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is we have all of these wonderful activities that are not sinful, but we make too much of it about that sometimes. And our kids grow up in their mentality of a church youth group is a lot of times romanticized to just the fun stuff that they did. And if there's not a balanced diet, like Caleb alluded to, it doesn't matter if I like what God's word says, it matters if I will obey God's word. There are things in scripture that I think the three of us would agree on. We don't like, we don't like that people are going to be lost. We don't like that. There are commands that have to be followed in order to be pleasing and acceptable to God, because it would be easier and it would be so much better quote unquote for the world. If those weren't there, however, because they are, because they're not going away, it's now my obligation to say, how much do I love the Lord and his church? Because that 90 year old woman who's in her home and she can't reach her light bulbs and the church youth group is going to come by and change her light bulbs that afternoon. And they're going to sing and have a Bible study with her that day. You know, the, the, the members in the congregation who can't get out and mow their grass and do all of these things. And the youth are going to go and have a, a day where they're going to weed the flower beds and do all of these wonderful things. And it, it's not centered around, we're going to the ice rink. We're going to do this. We're going to do that but service projects. And then there's these other kids in the community that are there that they're now being reached out to by people. And I told my, my young people here, we've got a a new youth minister that works with them. But before he started, I told them, if you're only here for the fun stuff, this youth group will not grow. It will not grow. If you have a full intent on being involved in the church work that the youth group can be involved in and be accomplishing, not only will you benefit the other members of this congregation, not only will you benefit the church in this community, ultimately you're benefiting your mind, your heart, and your soul to be loving God as we are expected and commanded to love him, which is Galatians 6, 1 through 5, bearing each other's burdens, helping each other out, doing whatever we can, and that's not always fun. It's not always pleasant. And sometimes I think, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Joe, is you know, it seems like we've spent too much time trying to make sure that our young people like the church. They want to come. They want to be involved in these activities, but we haven't really gotten a grasp on making them love the church. Yeah, no, I think you're right. My, my personal opinion, and it may not be the most popular one in the world, is I think that we have concluded, many of us have concluded in the church, that the more programs we have, the better we're doing. Mm. And we have programmed the church, I really believe, to the point where we don't know how to function unless there's a program to do it. Mm. And I don't read that there were programs like that in the early church. Now, that doesn't mean programs are bad, right? Some people would look at it and say, well, program is just a way of organizing people and thoughts, right? And making sure no one falls through the gap. I get that. That's, that's true. 
but my, I, I really struggle with the idea that we've programmed the church to the nth degree. And therefore, if we don't have a program for it, it doesn't get done. But to the point of, you know, the idea of why does a youth program exist in the first place? Oftentimes that youth program exists so that the kids want to come to services. If we're just going to be real, uh, the success of a young person or the success of a youth minister is often judged based upon numbers. How are our numbers doing? Uh, and if we have this youth event and numbers are high, then he's doing a good job. So he has pressure on him to put things out there that will look good and encourage the congregation based upon numbers. Uh, but it's not just in youth programs that we do that. We base congregational health on numbers too. And we'll, we'll say that, well, hey, we had, you know, X number 100 here today. Um, that's awesome. And, and we we're, we're must be doing some good work. Well, how do you know you're doing good work? Well, because our numbers are going up. Right. Well, have you ever thought your numbers are going up because something else? You know, not because you're doing a good work. And so I'm always cautious to judge the help of anything on numbers. But I will say this. We do put pressure on youth ministers to do things to get numbers. Um, but that doesn't mean that the kids love the church who are there. It means it's relational. And I get it. A lot of times what we do within the church is building relationships. I, 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 there was a time I didn't understand that. I, honestly, there was a time that I was into the numbers game. I didn't understand why we did what we did. You know, why did we have a lock-in? Why did we have a Friday night hangout? I do now. Now I understand it's all about relationships um, because people tend to need to be tied in before they're going to go deeper in their maturity. And if they're not tied in, then they're not going anywhere. So I understand why we do those things. Um, but to your point of liking the church versus loving the church, I believe that you've, you've struck a nerve because we, we measure whether or not that child is faithful based upon attendance, but attendance could just be like, mm -hmm. thus we are missing the heart. I'll, I'll, I'll say this on that point, Michael, I went to visit uh, a, a man once in one of my local works who had not been coming to services and um, his deal, when we showed up, you know, somebody asked me to go, I was relatively new as a preacher there and a gentleman asked me to go with him. So I did. And while we were sitting there, the other man said to this, this other man who hadn't been coming to services, you know, I really want you to come back to services, please come back to services. And this was that man's response. I will come every time I'm asked. So in other words, if you don't ask me, I won't be there. But if you ask me, I'll be there, right? Well, my turn came to talk to him and I, I, I said to him, I said, I'm not going to ask you to come back. I said, I'm going to ask you to re-engage being a disciple mm. because there's a difference between just showing up and, and being a disciple. And I think what we would do better is if we, of course, I'm not a traditional youth minister anymore from a standpoint of mentality. I am much more a family minister because I've seen too many um, kids come and go that if you didn't work with their families, you really weren't going to have much lasting impact. Now, occasionally you will, but not on the whole. Sure. And so the deal was you really have to help mom and dad at home. So I would offer this to you that this discussion, like versus loving the church, is actually one that needs to be had within a family context. So mom and dad 
love the church instead of like the church. Right. And if mom and dad, especially dad loves the church, that will influence the way he raises his children. That's right. That's so true. And as we talk about families, it's a good time to segue to the next question, unless Caleb has anything he'd like to add to that. No, okay. Um, you mentioned being a family minister and you mentioned now that that's kind of your role and your mindset. And so uh, we want to pick your brain on that a little bit. And one of the things that you mentioned with being a disciple of Christ, we're told in Ephesians six is that we're soldiers too, that these disciples need to be prepared to fight. And again, there's no age limit listed in Ephesians chapter six. I find that interesting. I've never thought about it that way until we just started recording this podcast today. Just how many biblical commands are written in scripture and there's not a single age limit attached to it about being a soldier in the Lord's army or anything of that nature. But I think you you struck a good nerve when you mentioned dad and mom need to love the church versus liking the church. And part of loving the church is being involved in going through Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 and trying to find the, the process of being soldiers of Christ, but also training our children that there's this hierarchy that's listed. We have mom and dad that are listed as the heads of the house, so to speak, over the children. And there's this relationship discussed there. So do me a favor and touch on both sides of this. Touch on the first few verses of Ephesians 6 and touch on it as it gets more towards the fighting aspect as they get older, if they follow after their their parents and obey what they're expected to do. Yeah, well, I've, I've oftentimes in walking... In walking people through this concept, I have, uh, I've had to start where there's agreement. Uh, and, and what I mean is this, I'll go through and show what is God's plan for the father in the home. And we look at the difference between Adam and Eve from, from a creation standpoint. Uh, we look at a difference of Adam and Eve from a punishment standpoint. In other words, while Adam and Eve received the same punishment in both being removed from the garden, they did not receive the exact same punishment because Eve was going to have a longing for her husband and increased pain in childbearing. And then Adam was going to have increased toil with the work of the soil. And right. So in order to get food, it was going to be much more difficult. But here's the thing. While we live in a culture where our society says, Hey, look, we're all equal, you know, men and women, we all are the same. As a matter of fact, we have individuals now that are saying, don't use, you know, gender specific pronouns because you just need to say, you know, they or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Don't you say he and she because it's derogatory. Well, here's the deal. He and she is not derogatory. It's God ordained. Right. Um, it depends on, you know, kind of what your perspective is. God created Adam to be a man. God created Eve to be a woman and to fulfill those roles that both of them are to fulfill. So when you start walking through the scripture, what did he expect of the fathers? Well, he expected the fathers to be the providers. Uh, That's very clear in what happens with Adam, what happens with his punishment. It's very clear in the instructions that we see in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica, if a man is not going to work, he's not going to eat. The idea of don't let them be lazy individuals. Uh, We see at other times where if a man doesn't provide for his own, that he's worse than an infidel. In other words, it's always been God's plan for the man to be the provider for the family. But he's also intended the man to be the protector. Um, you see that it was always the mighty men of valor. Now, there were occasionally, you know, Deborah, judges, you know, I'm not suggesting that there weren't. 
But on the whole, I'm just speaking generically, painting with a very broad brush. It was the man who was going to be the protector as well, but he was also going to be uh, the guide for the family. He was going to be the one from the days of old, the patriarchal period that God spoke to the heads of the families, the heads of the families were to speak to the the rest of his family on this is what God said. Um, It was always that the male was supposed to lead spiritually within the home. Uh, And so you look at that and then here's what you do. You ask people, well, would God be pleased if that father didn't do what that father was supposed to do? And of course, the obvious answer is no. And usually everybody agrees with that, right? Because you don't start with women because then you got some people that are thinking modern day feminism and they're going to have an issue with what I'm about to say. But you start with what we can agree on. Now, here's the deal. God didn't create men and women to be the same. Men can't bear children. Men can't uh, feed children from our bodies. Um, women are different emotionally. They're different socially. And that's a good thing. That is a God-ordained concept and character. But with the ladies, the instruction is different. You turn to like Titus chapter 2. How were the older women to teach the younger women? What were the younger women supposed to be doing? And why did that younger woman need to be taught how to love her husband, how to love her children, and to be workers at home? Um, I understand Proverbs 31 is in the Bible. Look, we don't have to run away from it. It's not an all or nothing concept. But I would offer this to you. Proverbs 31 woman didn't neglect her responsibilities at home because she was bringing in income. I would offer to you that that's a strong statement that men need to listen to, which is this. There are a lot of husbands who require their wives to work outside of the home. Mm. And they do so not necessarily by direct command, but they do so by lifestyle expectations. I need my new pickup truck. Therefore, in order for me to afford my new pickup truck and that cable TV and that internet and all these great eating out opportunities, look, we just can't make it on my income. So you have to go to work. Well, the reality is this, sell your truck, man. You don't need that truck. Go get you something else, right? You don't have to eat out all those times. So sometimes we as men make it more difficult on our wives. But the truth of the matter is this, when you come through about what the scriptures say regarding women, then you turn around and you say this, hey, would God be pleased if women didn't fulfill the role that they were supposed to play? And the answer is no that you need to fulfill the role for which God intends, right? Now, here's the transition to Ephesians 6. God does have direct instruction for children. And he tells them, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then chapter 6, verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, here's the reality. Kids are called to obey, honor, and respect their parents. Now, a lot of times kids don't understand that. Kids, kids equate obedience with begrudging obedience. The dad tells the child to take the garbage out. So what he does is he goes and he grabs the garbage can all the while walking to the sidewalk. Can't believe my dad made me do this. Or, 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 you know, and really thinking bad of dad. And, of course, look, I don't know if you guys did that. I went through some of that. We had a we had a garden, a two acre garden. Dad made us pick beans, and we had to work, man. Dad wasn't about us playing. We had to work before we could play. Right. And um, man, we raised chickens, we raised rabbits, we had a compost heap, we did all of that, and that was after Friday night football. So Saturdays were work days, mm-hmm. and his his whole thing was 
if you want to inter- interact with your friends, invite them over to work in the garden with you. That was his concept of hanging out with your buddies, right? So we would sit out in the bean patch. You can't believe my dad's making me do this stuff, right? We did that. It doesn't mean God was pleased with it, nor should I have done it. But here's the deal. God doesn't call children just to obey. He calls them to honor. And one of the best pictures of honoring that I've ever looked at was the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier with the uh, guards that stand, watch, that march 21 steps from one end of the carpet to the next. Paul's 21 seconds, uh, you know, at the end of the carpet. Why do they do all that? To honor. That's what honor looks like. So here's the way you follow that up. God's not well pleased when fathers don't fulfill the role that fathers are supposed to play. God's not well pleased when mothers don't fulfill the role that mothers are supposed to play. So is God well pleased when children don't fulfill those roles either? And the answer is no. So God has expectations. And that's why the parent needs to teach the child to obey and honor and to respect. Not because I'm your dad and I said so, but because God has expectations for you. And it is my responsibility to teach you those expectations and to discipline you towards those expectations. So then that's where it gets into verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, right? Is that sometimes parents can push buttons on purpose and we go above shaping our children for the cause that God would have us to shape them for. And then we just rule with a heavy hand. Um, It becomes more about us than about God. And fathers, we tend to have a, a, a tendency possibly to do that more in the sense of I'm dad, this is my house, you listen here, you look, you know, you teenager. Well, the reality is this, you are dad, this is your home, and you may have to have that conversation with them, but don't purposely draw out from them anger. You're going to draw anger. Don't purposely try to draw out that anger. Don't poke right? You got an animal in a cage and you walking up going, "Eh, let me poke you. Let me poke the bear in the cage. And then all of a sudden the bear goes, right? You're going to look at that and go, well, of course the bear did. You were provoking the bear. Fathers do not provoke. Don't, don't poke them in the cage, right? Your goal is not to make them angry. Your goal is to shape their hearts toward the Lord, which to your point, Michael, is because we're in a spiritual battle. And if God doesn't have their hearts, if you as a parent provoke and push, then there's actually casualties to this war. And those casualties will be realized in eternity. So, you know, I don't know if that's kind of the direction that you wanted me to go with that. Absolutely. But God has expectations, and it's all because we're in a spiritual war. And I, th- I think when we talk about this spiritual warfare and, and what you mentioned about not provoking your children to anger, I, what you mentioned, I, we've all experienced. I mean, I can remember I've been in trouble before and I've gone into my room and I've done the silent yelling, you know, at my mom and dad for getting on to me and, and me being in trouble. And I've been angry, but that wasn't because I was provoked to anger. There's mm-hmm. a difference. There's that distinction made between dad provoking me to anger, which is basically just poking to poke. And me being so upset that I got in trouble that I don't see that what I've done is wrong. And so I'm going to, I'm going to whine about it. And even now, you know, we see that with young children and even as they grow up, you know, sometimes we'll think, well, I don't understand why my mom and dad are so strict. 
I've got a three-year-old at home, so I know that you'll pray for me, Joe. And uh, I know that Caleb doesn't yet have children, but when that time comes, we'll pray for him too because that three-year-old can test you. And, I mean, he'll just yeah. look at you and you'll tell him no, and he'll look at you and say, bet. Bet I'm you not going to this. Yeah. And then he'll go and do it anyway. And when you get onto him and you punish him, he looks at you like you're the problem. And so yeah. I know we're not talking about that, but so much of what has happened in our world is – the children rule the house and the parents are kind of just there to, to be an ATM and a chauffeur and a cook. And that's about it. And other than that, that's all that really mom and dad apparently have value for today by a lot of people's mindsets and perspectives. And yet what you mentioned is so, so important that we're not training children to grow up and just be contributing members of society. Ultimately we're training children to grow up, to be, spiritual warriors in a battle versus good and evil. And if these children grow up with no respect for authority and they won't honor father and mother who are immediately in the home, how will they honor God and the church and the elders and deacons and preachers that are set to rule over them from a church perspective, guiding and governing their soul to eternity on a weekly basis if they won't even listen to the very people who brought life into their own body, you know, and brought them into this world. Of course, we know God ultimately is involved in that, but mom and dad, if they won't be obeyed, if they won't be listened to, God can't trust anyone then to obey and listen to him, it seems. No, yeah. I mean, how can they be expected to obey one that they cannot see when they will not obey the ones that they can see? Right. And, um, you know, oftentimes that's why, and ultimately that's why we discipline our children, right? We bring them into discipline because the goal is to disciple them in a direction. But if a parent is not going to discipline, then that really goes against, it's counterintuitive to discipling um, because that's what the, the reality is this. There, there is that punishment, right? God loves, God loves, therefore God disciplines. That's what the Hebrew writer would bring forth. But parents have got to really accept, and this is one thing that I've encountered is, while we talk about raising spiritual warriors, I don't find that the majority of people that I talk to, and I talk to a lot who are already spiritually minded people who are, uh, you know, many of them are in the church. Um, they do not personally accept the spiritual battle terminology. We talk about it from a hypothetical standpoint that, yeah, I mean, Jesus died on the cross and that Satan's been whooped. But we don't talk about it from the standpoint of, look, Satan is still active today. Right. His time of being uh, the prince of this world and the, deceit, the, the deceiver and the adversary, it's not over. And so you really have individuals that, and this is one of the big concerns is, who have not embraced that spiritual warrior mentality. So we're still just skipping through life. Um, you know, we're going to work, we're going to go out to eat, we're going to have extracurricular activities. Therefore, if we miss a service, it's really not a big deal. If we don't, uh, you know, watch what we should on television, it's really not a big deal because that's just entertainment. And the reality is the whole time Satan sits back and he just laughs. I, I just know he laughs because we, we at times make it so easy for him to do his job right. when what we should be doing is realizing that, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that we are involved with the battle and destroying, you know, the speculations that exist, but then also Ephesians 6, that you better take up the full armor of God because the devil is scheming, 
the devil is, you know, trying to get you that our battles against the, the world forces of darkness, the, ru- the rulers against the powers against the world forces of darkness, and that he's shooting arrows at you. And he would love nothing more than for you to pretend like you're not in a battle. And if you really think about that from a, just stepping outside of the Bible, can you imagine anybody who's engaged on the field of battle going into the battlefield without a knowledge that we are at war, without being equipped, and without equipping the young people? Because in this battle, your children, my children, and the children of those who will listen to this, they are on the battlefield as well. And we've got too many dads and too many moms and too many grandmas and grandpas who are pretending like this world and our schedules are what's important when the reality is there are too many people who have already succumbed to the wiles of the devil just simply because they refuse to admit and accept personally that we're in a spiritual war. Well, I think our, yeah. our, our culture and our society too kind of fosters this idea that Michael, you kind of mentioned before this, um, mm-hmm. where the, the kids kind of get to sit back, relax, um, everything kind of gets handed to them. The parents are there, uh, specifically for the purpose of providing them with the essentials that they need in this physical life and then to move on and that's it. And the kids kind of go on to 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 to, to win the battle and save the day um, in that kind of sense. And I think our society, our, our, our world kind of fosters that. And a lot of that I feel like comes through this avenue of media, through uh, through 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 our phones, through social media, through TV, uh, through TV shows, through music, and all of that, and all of those kinds of outlets. And so, I want to transition to our next question, Joe. As we talk about some of the blessings and also some of the pitfalls. I mean, there's two sides to every coin. Um, when you talk about trying to, and obviously you work in in, in youth and, and family, one of the biggest ways we can reach people like that is through media. And obviously we are all involved in media to, uh, to quite an extent, I feel like, um, in our everyday lives, especially with just our line of work and the way that we do it. So Joe, what are some of the, the blessings and some of the pitfalls um, in reaching those young people and the families, but in doing so through our media? Well, one of the blessings is, is that media is in everybody's pocket. Mm-hmm. I mean, we live in a culture today where, you're immediately accessible if you want to be accessible. I mean, when you start really looking at it from the standpoint of um, the percentages of people who own smartphones, and if they don't own a smartphone, they'll own, you know, some phone device of some sort. And so usually those phones are on people. So one of the great things about media is that it allows you to be accessible. Uh, and so, you know, if I need to send something to moms or dads or to kids, then I have the means to do that. Now, one of the negatives is also that you're accessible, right? So it's a double-edged sword there from the standpoint of media can also pull our attention away from where it needs to be. Uh, and so moms and dads at times aren't present in their families, even though they are physically present within their families, right? So media at times can actually, you know, not just, uh, you know, introducing pornography, watching things we shouldn't watch. I'm talking about just, are we, are we present in our families uh, when we're there? Because there's nothing like a child who longs for the attention of his father only to find that his father spends more time with his smartphone and paying attention to his emails or texts than he does to his own son who's saying, dad, would you throw the football with me? Dad, would you come help me build this Lego set? 
And look, I understand it. We all have to work. I have to work. There are times I have to tell my children, hold on just one second. Um, But what I never want to do is to show my children that they are less important than my phone, right? Or that message. And so even when I'm in the auditorium, maybe talking with people after a speaking engagement and my son or daughter comes up to me and I know they want my attention, we've had a talk ahead of time that I will put my arm on their shoulder or on their head or my, I'll touch them with my hand. And they understand that when I do that, I am recognizing that they're there. I'm recognizing their presence and that as soon as there's a break in the conversation, that I will turn my attention to them, right? But we still put that hand there. Um, So I would offer this to you. One of the great things about media is accessibility. One of the negative things about media is accessibility. Um, On top of that, I will say this, that you and I can produce some pretty cool things to get people's attention where they may never pay attention to things that happen in our church buildings if that was the only place we could reach them. So things like the Scattered Abroad Network, things like the Hey Joe Show, um, these are avenues that we can get out there via social media, um, you know, even through email, if you got, you know, if you utilize the email um, and people will potentially be reached through things like this that won't be reached necessarily um, coming into the building because they're not coming into the building. Um, and one of the things that I've recognized is in ministering to families is oftentimes families are looking for good resources. Uh, we tell dads they need to be leading their home spiritually, but then oftentimes we do not equip them in any way to do so. Right. And so they're intimidated. Most dads who don't lead at home spiritually, they didn't have fathers who led at home spiritually. It's a generational problem, right? And so you've got dads who want to do better, just dads who don't know how to do better. And so how cool would it be to say, hey, we're producing this content not to replace you, dad and mom, but to allow this to be a resource for you to use at home as you teach your children, as you teach your families. And so things like this network, uh, it would be real cool for those who are listening in on this. How about next time you say, hey, we're going to have a family Bible study or family Bible time on, you know, whatever night, pull up the Scattered Abroad Network. Uh, pull up a podcast, listen to a little bit of it, and then turn it off. And then moms and dads, let's open our Bibles and lead a discussion with our family based upon what we heard in the podcast. And that's what we try to do with the Hey Joe Show as well. And that's what we try to do with our family devotionals. Um, We have a family devotional channel on YouTube. Uh, We need to add more devotionals to it, like always, right? We could always be producing more content. But What I would offer is this, through media, you can actually provide wonderful resources with those families. Now, I'll also say this, that media can offer dangerous open doors to other resources. So if we're saying we can use it to help families and reach families the way we want, well, guess what? So can that other person who's trying to teach something else. So can that immorality get in, right? So it's, it's not like it's only open to those of us who want to teach the word of God. It's also open to those who do not, which we've known that for a while. Right. I'm just glad to see that the Lord's church is in a major way stepping up within the last 10 years to say, hey, you know what? We can be a part of this too. There's some good to be done with it. 
But to answer the question, the blessing is accessibility, the opportunity to provide resources or two that I would offer. But the pitfalls is accessibility and the fact that other resources can come in. And that's not even talking about the importance of um, filtering, the importance of accountability, uh, things like Covenant Eyes, things like BART, things like the Circle Plus, and any number of filtering sites. So there's there's a ton of pitfalls, but that's a, maybe a different discussion whether or not you guys want to go there or not. Well, it, it's definitely important to consider that because one thing, though, that we do need to make sure these parents understand if your friends don't go to church, they're not going to have those things. And so your children still have to be prepared if they're going to go on a sleepover. You need to be able to have those conversations. Are you going to let your kids do that? Is that something you're comfortable with happening? And that's that's the real reality is we can put our house in Fort Knox mode and make our house the absolute spiritual you know, grounds as best as possible. And the un, unexpected realities that happen is our, our children, like you mentioned earlier in this episode, they leave eventually. And so it's like you said, it's that that is a means to stop it. But it's also like you mentioned, we have to teach our children why we're stopping it and why we're promoting the good and holy things versus the smut that the world puts in front of us. And it's one of the arguments I hear people saying, you know, go where the people are. Well, the people can be in some pretty messed up places. And I don't know that we just want to go to where the people are all the time. And so there has to be a balance here that we have to discuss and look at. And I think what you touched on is excellent, that parents can do everything they can to, you know, lock the house down from sinful activity. And children are still going to be, you know, impacted by the devil. And so it's it's a twofold strategy. It's doing what you can because you can teach but not block everything and they're still going to have an opportunity to see these things and you could be the best teachers on these matters in the world and these children could still see these things and stumble you can lock everything and never talk about it because you're kind of blind to the reality that well it's blocked and so they can't see it and yet you, you, you know you don't understand what happens if you go to public school you don't understand what happens if you go to some of these places and some of the things that you know can be seen that automatically put a kid in a position that they never thought they'd be in. And if it's been blocked their whole life and they've never had these serious discussions and they're of an age where they're going to be exposed to these things, that to me can almost be just as deadly as if they were exposed to it and had been trained in it. Uh, or never having, having anything blocked is what I'm getting at. And so when we talk about parents' responsibility to blocking the, the pitfalls of social media, that includes, you know, anything. There are all these apps. I mean, the the Apple phones that we have that I know I like to use, and I'm pretty sure everyone in this particular episode uses an iPhone, and they are very good about customization and what you can block and what you can prevent and doing all these things. And uh, you can basically make a phone a glorified music. You know, it's an iPod again, basically. And now you can have everything removed and it can only be accessed with whatever stipulations you put. And that's up for each family to decide. But I think you've touched on something very important that parents are fooling themselves if they don't consider these matters, if they're not concerned with what can be seen and what can be, you know, realized and understanding that my son's going to be at a ball game and he might hear a word that he's not supposed to. But at that moment, I shouldn't just act like it wasn't said, especially if he recognizes it. I should turn to him and say, now, you know, we don't talk like that. That's not something that we're involved in doing. And what, what I think sometimes has happened and I want to use this as a segue into my next question 
is I think sometimes we act like we didn't hear or see it and therefore it didn't happen. But our kids don't work that way. They can't compartmentalize like adults can. Oh, I'm not supposed to see that. It, it never happened. But to, you know, a 10 year old to a 12 year old to however old they are, they saw it and they've never seen it. Maybe they've never heard it maybe. And so they have to be able to be told in that moment, this is wrong. We don't behave this way. This is why. Here's what the scriptures teach. And sometimes if parents act like they've never heard or seen any of this stuff, then they wonder why their kids can be involved in some of these matters. And really, I would submit before I get to the question that that is in part their own fault for never sitting down and telling them what you just saw is wrong. And here's why it's wrong or what that person just said is not good. It's not something that we should be saying because this and this and this. But when we talk about unfaithful children, I want to kind of close the episode out by asking just how responsible are parents for unfaithful children? There's typically two schools of thought. There's the school of thought that, you know, parents can never go wrong if they teach their children the truth. And there's the school of thought that children can only be as good as they're taught, but as well as children can only be as good as what they're taught and what they receive. So, Joe, what would you say is, as I kind of threw you a bunch of different things at once? Yeah, well, I, and I'll, I'll say something here and then transition to this. What you're talking about when it comes to the fooling ourselves, the social media, where they're going to be, I would offer this to you, that it's absolutely right to teach the why, not just the what. In other words, don't just say, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this. Tell them why and be age appropriate with that. Be age specific. But then also, if you're going to tell them we don't do this, but then they see you turn around and do this, then they're going to say, no, we doesn't include mom and dad. Right. And that looks like hypocrisy. So what I would offer to you is this. You're talking about being intentional. Uh, when you approach your family, when you approach your social media habits, your children's media habits, you're talking about don't just take it as it comes, but you've got to be intentional. And I will offer this in our home, um, Aaron and I, we have been intentional with that, but that doesn't mean that our kids have never seen anything, nor have they never heard anything because you can be as intentional as you try to be, but there, you're always going to find out, Ooh, there was a hole there. There was a gap in the wall. The fortress wasn't as fortified perhaps as maybe we thought. Um, and some of that doesn't come through, well, we had this filter or we had that filter because the world will filter out according to the world's own rankings. So if the world says that this particular scene doesn't fit the rating, then it'll let that scene through on, on the device. And so you've got to be cautious about that. And it's not just the immorality that they see, but it's also the, um, the negative education of humanism. It's the education of evolution. Uh, those are the things that are also concerning that we as parents must be engaged in, right? So to answer the question, how responsible are we for unfaithful children? I, I look at that question, uh, and I want to make sure I say this correctly. We're not talking about five-year-olds here. Right. We're not talking about 10-year-olds. Um, we're talking about individuals who have, we're not even talking about those who we think have reached the age of accountability and they have yet to obey the gospel. We're talking about people who they left home, they turned their back on the church, and maybe now they're in their early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, 30s, 40s, 
and they are not faithful anymore. Well, the hard part of the question is this. I don't know to what extent the families did or did not uh, set out to do intentionally according to the will of God by that question. So the hard part is this. Let's say, you know, Aaron and I, because I, I'll, I'll use us, we, we went beyond just taking our children to worship service. We went beyond just showing up to Bible classes, youth events. Sometimes my kids will get a youth rally, then they'll get a gospel meeting following that up. We haven't had tea, you know, um, uh, live TV at home in a long time. Uh, we were cautious before all these uh, parenting apps were out, but now that they're out, we're very careful. We don't allow our children to get smartphones before a certain age, and then when they do, they're locked. They're locked down from the standpoint of I take Safari off their phone, covenant eyes as their internet source. Uh, if they're going to download an app, it's got to be approved by me first. And it, it, I can, you know, kind of keep some good tabs on what I see because of the way that covenant eyes work. But let's say this, let's say Aaron and I did all of that, but one of out of our four children, when they leave our house, they decide they don't want to have anything to do with the faith of their parents. I don't know if maybe they fall in love with a young lady or my daughter with a young man who came from a background that they were apathetic. Their parents weren't as intentional, but love has just infatuated them. Therefore, uh, in order to have some sense of peace, the child, you know, seeks the relationship with their spouse above the relationship with their their Lord, right? And I would love to think, no, that'll never happen. Joe Wells, Aaron Wells, our kids, man, those kids would never marry somebody like that. Well, if I could have anything to do with it, you're right, right? I'm a, I'm a I'm gonna start saving up some camels for arranged marriages, right? Give dowry. But the truth is, I've known good families whose children went off the marker, and we would look at that and we would say, man, those parents, they really did. They were intentional. That child just chose to go a different direction for whatever reason. In those cases, parents, and I know because we're about to launch one off to college, we are always second guessing ourselves going, what could we have done different? What did we do everything? Were we consistent? And the reality is even the best parents aren't always consistent. And so you hope that your children forgive. You hope that your children see your own need, the parents need for grace, um, and that they understand their parents aren't perfect, but that we're a work in progress too. But here's the deal. For the parents who did those things, they raised the children the way they should, but the children just chose a different path. I believe Ezekiel 18 is a strong statement that the parent will not stand accountable for the sins of the son, and the son will not stand accountable for the sins of the the, the parent, the father, but each who sins will stand accountable on their own. Uh, I believe that falls in there. Now, here's the deal. I do believe, though, that you can be parents who are not intentional. Mm -hmm. I believe that you can just say, oh, whatever, you know, the kid's going to kind of be off on their own, and they just got to kind of do their own thing, and hopefully they'll get it right. Obviously, I believe that's the wrong approach. Um, I do believe God's grace is big. Uh, in those cases for those parents, because I've known some parents come to my seminars and uh, they have unfaithful children and they'll say, I wish I knew those things back when my kids were still in my house. And to which then I'll have a conversation with them and say this, 
As long as your children are alive and there are breath, there's breath in your lungs, it's not too late for you to go to reach your child. And so from that standpoint, that parent realizes they didn't do everything that they should have done. But you can tell there's a repentant heart that they now want to seek their child. That's hard, though, for them because the child came to a conclusion based upon the upbringing that they got. So if the parent was disconnected, was perhaps overly harsh, maybe dad was a drinker, didn't attend services, now he turned his life around, but the child doesn't want to have anything to do with the church. Um, The father can be forgiven for that, but that doesn't mean there's not consequences to the behavior. So to answer your question, and maybe I took it in a direction you didn't mean to, but I looked at that more as kids who are out of their parents' house who aren't faithful. Um, And so there is some scale, I guess, that I will allow within that, depending upon the parenting style. Uh, But ultimately, I, I usually come back to Ezekiel chapter 18 pretty, uh, pretty standard on this one. Sure. And I think too, there's, there's two things that you said. One, we went to Proverbs four earlier in verse 23, verse 11 is interesting because the father says, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I led you in the right paths. And the whole chapter is basically him telling his son, you better have listened. If you want to be a wise person, you can't say when you grow up, it was daddy's fault that you don't have wisdom. I've done my part. Mom's done her part because throughout the book of Proverbs, you also have forsake not the law of your mother. And so we've Mm -hmm. done our part as parents. Now the responsibility shifts to you as the child to take what we've taught, which is also called good doctrine in verse two. You have to take that and apply it. Otherwise you've wasted it it's not that we didn't apply it in this situation. And that's exactly how I intended the question to be answered. I I appreciate that. That was my mindset. And I want to close with this illustration because I've heard this and we've probably all used this in a sermon before, but we've heard the story about the, the father who had two children and he was an alcoholic and the two children grew up and one of them became an alcoholic and the other one never touched alcohol a day in his life. And they were both asked, why are you the way that you are basically? And they had the exact same answer. I watched my dad. And in one case, the person saw what a horrible life his father was living and determined, I will never go down that path. I'm never going to do what is being put in front of me. And in the other example, this child thought, this is who I know, this is who I idolize, and therefore I'm going to do whatever he does. And I think what you mentioned and what we've kind of pulled the thread on this whole episode is if a parent doesn't do their job, the likelihood that both children will be faithful decreases. If a parent does their job, the likelihood that your children will always be faithful is not at 100%. It can't be. I mean, men and women, we have free moral agency. We can choose to determine how we're going to live our lives. But the chances increase greatly if we have tried to lay a foundation, done what Proverbs 4 talks about, done what Ezekiel 18 mentions, which is the soul that sins shall die. But if the father is a soul that is sinning all the time, that son is going to grow up and perhaps never understand anything but sin. And so the importance of being a a young father in my shoes, and as you're talking about sending a child off to college, the first of four that are going to be going to college and making their way through life, the, the importance that we all have, whether we're children or whether we're parents, is to always make sure that God is put first. And if you were growing up in a situation, maybe listening to this podcast and you don't have godly parents, 
you can still put God first in your life. You can still dedicate yourself to God. If you're parents and you're expecting a child or you have young children in the home and you're trying to raise them, you can dedicate your life to Christ and put them on that path. And perhaps, like Joe mentioned, maybe you didn't do that and you're feeling this sense of regret. Well, just like the prodigal son did and just like Simon the sorcerer did, repentance can happen, change can be instituted, and blessings can follow. And so if you'll rededicate your life to Christ and try to make amends and try to course correct what you have done, there very well can easily be a change that can happen, not just in your life, but hopefully in your children's lives. But I want to say something before I throw it to to you guys for final comments and then Caleb to close it. To the parents that are listening to this right now that have done their part, that are that have done everything that they can, and all that they're thinking is failure. And they haven't failed, but in their minds, they have. I do think that it's important to remember that God has fathered everyone in this earth. We are all his children, and even God has unfaithful children. And if God, who is the most perfect father, the most wonderful being that has ever been and ever will be, can have children that deny him and choose to not follow the good doctrine that he gives, anybody can. And it doesn't matter what you do there's always that chance that something will happen. And so guys, I don't know if you have anything else that you'd like to add to that or final comment, something maybe Joe would like to say and then throw it to Caleb for close. But uh, I just want to say before I stop talking for this episode that I really appreciate Joe being on the program this for this summer episode that we have and uh, really excited about all the work that he's doing and what we're able to do today for Scattered Abroad. Well, Michael, I appreciate your, I appreciate your thoughts in ending that because um, Parents are always going to second guess the jobs that we've done. And there's always going to be a sense of, of, of guilt could have done more. And that's even for parents who have kids who turn out faithful, uh, who choose to walk with the Lord. It's just, I think it's just parents because you care, you care about your kids, no matter how old they are and no matter what stage of life that they're in. Um, but I, I do appreciate the hope that is offered. And I will say this for those who are, you who are raising children still, or will be in the future, a key concept is to be intentional. Do not believe that things that we've talked about today on this particular episode, that your kids will just get by living in society. Um, You've got to be intentional. You've got to set out to instill this at home. And so uh, I would say this, don't, don't just be a reactionary parent, be a proactive parent. Um, and, and, and look for ways to be intentional. But thank you guys for allowing me on. I will offer this to you as always. I mentioned Kyle Publications in the beginning, and I know it'll be in the show notes, but check us out at kylepublications.org. Um, there's a lot of things there for families that would help along these lines of what we're talking about. And then obviously check us out, the Hey Joe Show. We're on YouTube. We're, you can find us on uh, social networks. You can find us on podcast channels. Um, but check us out. We go live every Sunday night or try to live every Sunday night at eight 30. Joe, let me, um, as we close this out, let me ask you one more question. Um, and I think Michael probably answered it in probably one of the better ways that I've ever heard it answered, um, just a moment ago. But Joe, if you had one piece of advice, um, for parents who do have unfaithful children, who parents who have done the right thing, let's say, and let's just say there are the parents have done everything that they ever could have thought to do. They've, they've gone to the Bible. They've, they've tried to pattern their parenting after what scripture has told us. Um, and yet 
they still had a child or children um, fall away and be unfaithful. And as unfortunate as it is, we know that that's true. What, like Michael said, that failure sets in. And obviously I hope that I am never in that situation. I hope none of us are ever in that situation, but I can, I feel like I could maybe somewhat see why they would think, you know, that they're failures as parents. So what, what kind of, give me one piece of advice um, as we kind of close out that you would give to, uh, to parents who are maybe having to go through something like that, where they have done everything right, at least it seems in their minds. um, And yet they still end up having an unfaithful child. Yeah. My, my advice is you're not done. Um, You're not done. You know, you're, your parenting, your influence does not stop when your children leave your home. And that doesn't matter if they're 50 years old and you're 75. Um, you know, you heard me say, as long as there's breath in your lungs and they're still alive, there's still hope. Sure. Well, I would offer this to you. Um, I am a very, very much a um, work toward the end goal kind of guy. And the end goal is for you to get your family uh, into a situation where their love for the Lord, their covenant relationship with God through Jesus means that because God is faithful to his promises, your family goes to heaven. I, I guess you could put it this way. Your goal is to get your family on the ark. Sure. If we're going to use a Noah <laughs> illustration, sure. right? That doesn't mean just when they're three, four, five, or six. That means when they're older. Now, here's the deal. There's always a concern of, well, you know, can I have them in my life? Will they think that I agree with their sin? The only reason they think you're going to agree with their sin is if you never say anything. If you pretend like they're okay with the Lord. But the reality is this, there comes a point in time where you have got to have a relationship with them in order to have influence with them. And sometimes those kids will cut you out of their life. I've seen that where the only resource that a parent had was a letter that could be handwritten. And I would say this, look, if, you know, it's one of those things, if I thought for one minute, the bad guy was going to come in and take my family, then I would do everything I could to my last dying breath to protect my family. And that, I guess the illustration I use is this, okay, then that means you're the front man on the fire. That's right. So if the, if the devil fires a, a bullet at me and it hits me, that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm done. That just means I got hurt, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep being that soldier who's going to keep fighting for my family, realizing the whole time that I, I can't save my family. And, and that's a hard lesson that I didn't really, there's so many things that I've learned over the years, but perhaps one of the greatest pieces of advice that was given to me was given to me by my dad regarding kids that I so longed to come to the Lord. He said, Joe, you've got to realize something. You're not Jesus and you didn't die on the cross for them. And what he was saying is don't care. He, he wasn't saying stop caring. What he was saying was that you can produce all the effort and all the energy that you want, but the reality is you don't do the saving Jesus does. And so the advice that I would give to that parent is you keep fighting, you keep trying. Ultimately, you hit your knees, you pray to God that something will happen that they will want to turn to God through Jesus. And um, I don't know what that means. Sometimes that means your child has to hit financial ruin. Sometimes that means they have to lose their entire family. Sometimes that means they end up in an automobile accident, paralyzed for the rest of their life. I don't know what it means, but as a parent, I know this. I would rather have my child financially bankrupt 
alone because he lost his family and paralyzed in a wheelchair as long as he still goes to heaven because he repents and comes to the Lord through faithful obedience. Absolutely. So I would say this, the battle's not over, no matter how old your kids get. Keep fighting, keep going, keep pressing forward. Joe, I certainly appreciate uh, you being on the podcast today. I know we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of information. Um, so certainly appreciate all the work and effort that you're doing for the kingdom. And I just uh, I pray God's blessings upon you and your family. I know you mentioned that you've got uh, got one going off to college. So prayers for you and Aaron as you guys trans- Please. <laughs> transition <laughs> through that. So but no, definitely we're grateful for you and all the work that you've been doing. Again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Well, to our listeners, again, we're grateful that you're with us and that you're listening to this podcast. Hopefully, it is something that has helped you. Um, as always, don't forget that we are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever that you want to find us. We are there. Also, if you can, send us an email. If you have any comments or questions, we certainly would love to hear from you. Also, as always, give us a rating or review. Um, certainly, we're grateful uh, for all of those. Don't forget that this Thursday, um, we are continuing our summer summer content with the Did That Really Happen podcast. Again, uh, Joe Wells will be joining us for that and we're grateful uh, for him taking time to do that as we kind of relax maybe take a step back and talk about some of the uh, more funny things in life that happens uh, as we all go through ministry and uh, hopefully it is something that maybe they can give you a laugh as you go throughout your day again on behalf of everyone here at SCN we're grateful for you listening and may God bless thank you for listening to this podcast from the scattered abroad network if you would like to email us, you can do so at the scattered abroad network at gmail.com. That's the scattered abroad network at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.